we are going to go on and we're going to talk about there are specific things that happen uh, in in cultures. Uh, there there are questions that come up, and and it becomes obvious that you have to decide what you're going to do. And so we want to talk about one of those and explain to you how that happens and and how you deal with it. And uh, we're going to use alcohol. To me, I love talking about alcohol. Um, I think it's a great it's a great topic. And so I just want to I I thought this was a great place to end. Um, we want to end on a positive. Positively, don't drink. No, I'm kidding. Okay. Let, let me, uh, <laughs> let me, uh, let me just read this. Um, okay, here we go. So, uh, G.K. Chesterton wrote this. The more modern type of reformer encountering a fence across a road, goes gaily up to it and says, I don't see the use of this. Let us clear it away. To which the more intelligent type of reformer will do well to answer. If you don't see the use of it, I certainly won't let you clear it away. Go away and think. Then when you can come back and tell me that you do see the use of it, I may allow you to destroy it. Isn't that awesome? And so I want to talk about alcohol, and I want to talk about uh, our traditional stance. Um, and uh, then I want to use that as a, as a way to talk about the various and sundry things that are going to come down the pike. You all are going to have to do with the digital world uh, some of the things that uh, we did with alcohol. Uh, it is definitely destroying your generation. And you need to take a stand. Uh, and you need to realize the healthiest way to live, and you need to make that your way. I pity you. That's going to be even harder than alcohol. Uh, but then there will be something else, and then something else, and something else. Something that becomes a cultural gateway into the church that in and of itself used properly would not cause trouble. But because of the cultural situation, you will have to say the best thing for us to do is govern it in this way. And then you will be called a cult, and they will say, do you know that those people, they won't let you, you know, on your computer more than two hours a day? They control everybody over there. God bless you. So let's talk about alcohol. Um, basically, what, uh, what uh, Chesterton said was a lot of times you put up fences for certain reasons. And sometimes those fences need to be removed. But unless you understand why they're there, you don't know if they need to be removed or not. Make sense? And so here's the deal with alcohol. Um, Without going to a lot of scripture, I will just say that our understanding of the scripture is that Jesus did turn water into wine, um, alcoholic wine. And we believe that culturally the Jews 
and probably the early Christians drank wine. At least Timothy was one uh, Gentile, I guess, that did, he was a circumcised Gentile, though, uh, that drank wine. So our understanding of the Bible is not that the Bible says everybody that drinks wine is sinning. Does that make sense? Uh, we don't think our Catholic brothers sin when they drink wine. We don't think it's a sin. But we were a bunch of college students in 1974. Remember the 60s? Drugs, alcohol, people going crazy. We were also in Lexington, Kentucky, 30 miles from where the Great Revival of 1806 broke out and formed the Christian Church. And the largest group on campus was a Campus Crusade for Christ. And so I would say the majority of people um, who called themselves evangelical Christians believed that you should not drink. Even they would say it would be a sin to drink. That was the culture that we were in. Um, we were, some of us were going to turn 21 soon. And so we had to ask these questions, how should we live? Um, and you also have to remember that I don't, there's 120 counties in Kentucky. Today, how many of, how, how many of you, do, guess how many of them are dry counties? They will not allow the sale of alcohol in their county out of 120. How many do you think? Huh? 47, uh, not quite 50%, but a large number of counties in your state will not allow the sale of liquor. Why do you think that is? This is 20, what is it, 2018. How many counties do you think were making this transition? I mean, I've heard the votes over these last 40 years where they finally vote to make it uh, make it wet. Um, and so the Christian church, uh, they had a definite no drinking policy. And when they tried to open bars up for drinks on Sundays, Wayne Smith, who was the pastor of South and Christian, Janet's shaking her head. Do you remember that? Yeah. Wayne took the lead uh, and a large contingency of evangelical pastors uh, worked uh, to keep that law from changing. Uh, a few years earlier, he had fought uh, the blue laws to, to keep them in effect, which would not even allow you to open a store on Sunday. If you go back further, you've got Prohibition, you've got Carry Nation. That's not to say that Prohibition was good. I think if you live, read Eslin's book, he would say the problem with Prohibition was that you tried to do through the state what should have been done in communities. Um, and so that's the, that's the culture we were in. And so with all of that and being brought up around uh, people who weren't supposed to drink, but they did, i.e. Baptists, the, the joke was Episcopalians drink this way and Baptists drink this way, which is behind your back, <laughs> you know. Uh, they, they, they couldn't they couldn't let anybody they couldn't let anybody know it. Uh, 
uh, but they would all do it. And so that's where we were. And we just thought, okay, we're establishing a community, and here's what we're going to say. We're going to say we're not going to drink. If we get your kids, we're not going to treat them, teach them to drink. But if you have a tradition in your church, and that's the way you do it, we are not going to condemn you. And so we accommodate you, but we don't offend you. So this is the way we're going to live. Uh, plus, a few people that would get saved would be people that had been maybe not alcoholics, but drank way too much, and it was a safe place for them. Um, and so those are some of the reasons that fence was there. That's the reason uh, it was to protect people who were coming of age. It was to not offend other people. Uh, and for some of us, it was for our parents' sake. For me, a big part of it was my mom and dad. Um, and so that's where we were. We got together in a big circle, and we made a decision. This is the way we're going to do it. That was a good decision. That was the right decision. That was the way it should be. And that has been the standing position. Um, and I think you'll appreciate the fact that we only ask our elders to never drink. Uh, and the reason for that is for us to be able to say, if you go home and you're a student and your parents have this big thing about drinking, you can say, yeah, none of our elders drink. Uh, and and you, can, you can help them be confident that we as a church are not going to promote drinking in your life. Um, if you can love that, if you can say, wow, how wise they were as a bunch of college students to wade through all the issues and come to that place, what amazing people they were then you may be qualified to question the fence. But if you can't accept what has been the long-standing part of what has drawn people to our church, then you're not even close to being able to say, hey, I think we should knock that fence down. Does that make sense? Uh, because, well... So, so the point is, with certain things, and we're using alcohol as the example, um, if there is an issue, if there is a question, then you bring the body together, and you come to conclusion, and then you say, yeah, this is good. This is how we're going to do it. Praise the Lord. And then you keep moving ahead. And then you're free when people come in to say, you know, we don't promote drinking. And so the way it works with people who might want to, for some reason, uh, feel a real need uh, to drink in their own home, uh, what we ask them to do is please don't make that part of your fellowship and to create little circles of drinking. So the reason I bring this one up is X number of months or years ago, um, sort of a culture of drinking got started. And at least a couple of people got drunk, uh, and it became sort of a thing. These microbreweries and people were 
you know, we were wanting to do, to do the hip. Yeah, we're here at the microbrewery. And I don't know if any of those people that unilaterally made that decision as a 20-something-year-old talked to the home fellowship leader and discussed whether this is the best thing for us to do as a community. Uh, so the way to approach it would be to say, oh, I know how we have lived. And I'm beginning to wonder if, if it might be better for the community to adjust this then you should go and talk to your home fellowship leader before you talk to your buddy that you can convince to go get a beer with you down at 6th Street. Does that make sense? Does that make sense to you? Mm -hmm. Yes, it does. So, so has anybody had some great sin? Well, a couple of people did. They got drunk. But maybe the friends that took them sinned. But a guy that went and got a beer, did he sin? No, we've never said that. But did he violate what we had agreed as to do as a community? Well, if he made something that was sort of, hey, we're kind of moving this way, hey, let me get my discipling buddy and go, that was disrespectful to the community, okay? And so this is where it gets hard because there will always be things in culture that, that you have to address and that you have to agree on and it may not be a sin, but we're raising kids together. And when mom and dad don't agree, it gives the kid a choice. And the kid will always choose <laughs> what satisfies him rather than what is most beneficial for life. Um, so with this example, if there's an issue that anybody's concerned about that we need to bring to the table we bring it to the table we discuss it and we can discuss for a long time how long do we discuss tom huh well what's the longest one you remember the ongoing discussions still going on <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes uh, the first circle, it was pretty quick. It was just a few people. But by the time Tom and Susan got here, the circle was a little bit bigger, and you had people from different traditions, and it was just grinding trying to get to conclusion. Um, and so there's a lot of things that are just floating out there that nobody's said, I think as a community we need to address. But everybody has different ideas. But the things that we have addressed and we have decided this is the way we're going to do, we got to stick with it. Um, and again, if, if there's a need to adjust it, then just bring it up to your home fellowship leader. And then let's get it in the circle. And uh, let's have the discussion and let's decide what we're going to do. And then ultimately, like I said, uh, now that we're used to, it was just the whole circle decided, you know. Uh, but now it, it's so big, it would have to be probably the the elders and, and maybe the home fellowship leaders too that would have to, you know, if, if there wasn't complete consensus. So does that make sense? The things that aren't explicitly sin in the Bible, you know? Uh, but it is not expedient for the vision in the community you're in. As a community, once you make that decision, you have to really respect it. And and understand why it was made and support it.
So for me, what I thought with the alcohol, I always, I always gauged it by when my dad died. Because that, that was the biggest you know, reason I wouldn't do it, is I, I wouldn't want to offend dad. Um, but before that happened, it kind of started breaking out in little pods. And there's some people here, I wrote, I, there's a group of people, I wrote them a letter and said, look, will you just please quit doing it until we can talk about it? Uh, and, you know, most of them were real respectful and, and they put it on hold. I appreciate that. Uh, and so here we are. Uh, ben? <laughs> well, I, I have a, a few thoughts. And I wanted to be a part of this conversation as a second generation, uh, one who wasn't in the original circle, uh, but who has now been given a stewardship of shepherding uh, what we have. And so my, my fear isn't that people are seeing the fence and saying there's no need for the fence. It's that they're in their uh, air-conditioned steamrollers uh, on their iPhone, and they didn't even see the fence. And then they, someone points out that they just knocked down the fence, and they go, oh, I didn't even realize that fence was there. And so there's, there's, no, there's no even awareness of... Uh, of these hard-fought decisions and, and hard-won decisions and, and the sacrifice that people have made to uphold the decision. Um, and I think there's a number of reasons that happens, but you know, I don't think it's all on the violator, the, the, the fence smashers. Um, but I think that we need to, what we've been saying this whole retreat is that we need to really value what makes us us. And um, so there's, there's the situation where you, you, you just weren't aware and you just made your own individual decision. You weren't aware that there was a community consensus. And that's one thing. Um, but then there's another thing where you say, well, I wasn't in on that, that original circle. So that's not really, I didn't come to agreement on that. And I would say, you have no right to say that because you agreed to that consensus when you reap the benefits of our community. If you want to give back <laughs> everything that this community has given to you, then you can say, well, uh, I wasn't in on that circle, so I don't have to do that thing. No, you are retroactively in all of those decisions when you begin to partake of the benefits of this community and when you show a commitment to, to, to be who we are. Um, does that make sense? So, I mean, because there is that, that's kind of attitude, I think especially in, in the younger people that would say, well, that's not an issue now, that's an old thing, that's, a, um, that's not a question that we have to grapple with. Well, it's not, yours to, it's not your decision to make yet. And uh, we need to show the right kind of uh, humility and stewardship for what is here. Uh, knowledge of it and understanding of it um, and careful stewardship of it and cultivating of it, uh, not demolishing of it, rebooting of it, or, or anything else that, that we do in our culture now. Raise and rebuild, right? that's, that's what we do. Um, so those are my thoughts. And, and I'm, you know, I go back and forth on, <laughs> if I just consider the drinking issue as the drinking issue, I go, I can be persuaded by either side. Uh, what I'm more persuaded is the power of community and the necessity of agreement 
um, for the sake of the children, uh, the, the people that, that need a solid community to guide them out of their passions and into Lord, the Lordship of Jesus. And, and, and I'll share this. There's probably some people that are a little worried about this conversation because there are people who think that it, it, the Bible teaches that you should not drink. Um, and so you just got to remember, if you're on the other side and you're wanting to, to argue for liberty, they have a conviction. And so you're going to ask them to remain in a community that now challenges one of their convictions. And so you keep that in mind, too, as you move ahead. Yeah, so this is a hard one, but boy, it, it, it's got all of the elements, you know. It's got all of the elements. So, so the point is not just the alcohol. The point is everything. I like using alcohol because it, it's going to stir something up in you one way or the other. <laughs> But you're going to have to do this. You have to do it. Stuff is going to come up uh, that's marketed out of Hollywood. I, I'll give you another quick one. Um, I, I was on a, a seventh grade field trip uh, eating, and some music came on. And a couple of the students started singing along. And I didn't, couldn't understand it. So I went home and I looked the song up. And here's the song. He didn't treat you right. One night with me will make you forget all that. Now when our seventh graders are singing that, I wonder if we may have deviated from some of the things we said we were going to do with our music. <laughs> There's another one. Are, we, are you going to let your kids listen to music with my kids there that the music talks about sleeping around? The rule says no. <laughs> and here I was leading them into this sin right there in front of God and everybody. You know, I'm sitting here representing the church and we're, we're singing about sleeping with somebody. You know? Uh, <laughs> um, so th there's going to be all kinds of issues and something that is acceptable now. You guys at some point are going to have to say, you know, it's gotten out of hand. It's something it shouldn't be. And uh, there you go. The keeper of the dress code, uh, Catherine, Susan, and Brenda, uh, they've kind of fallen by the wayside. Uh, but there are new forms of dress that ought not be worn in public, but it's starting to happen. So those kinds of things, you know, that discussion is going to have to happen. So, Thomas, <laughs> thank you. Yes. Yeah. Kate, we weren't going to move on to makeup, so you can stay. You don't. 
I'm sorry, go ahead. How, how does that look? Because obviously it seems like our churches begin to take on their own independent ethos to some degree. I don't know if we're trying to, to back up and say, wait a second. Well, here's, here's the way it works. Um, when we plant a church, it's planted with our ethos. If they change it, they should decide to change it. They shouldn't allow it to gravitate away. And if they decide to change it, they should process it with us. Um, and then we understand why they're changing it. And, uh, you know, if we feel like we need to challenge it, we do. But once a church is set a, a, apart, they're their own governing body and they can change it. But, you know, I would encourage every team that plants out to be very slow to change it quickly and to respect, you know, the difference between conservatives and liberals would be this. Conservatives believe in change, but conserving the good that they've got and changing slowly. Liberals wake up one day, have an idea, and want to have a revolution. Uh, and so I think we just need to be conservative, and, uh, and they do have every right to become liberal and change everything they want. But I think by the nature of our communities, we would really respect where we came from and we would have those discussions. We wouldn't just, we wouldn't get our little team off and change it and then spring it on all of us. It, it would be a good process, but so there's gonna be a lot of freedom uh, in the third and fourth generation churches. I mean, it, once they plant and once they plant somebody else, then, you know, uh, there, is going, there is going to be some different interpretation. But we've got to really listen to each other, you know. You've you got to listen to the third generation and say, no, it's time for that one to die. But the third generation has got to listen to the first generation saying, yeah, but you don't know this. Listen to this. Um, and so there will be times when there will be some churches that might carry a little bit of a different ethos. Um, but I think ultimately the older churches that need to catch up will. <laughs> you know, I don't think they'll die. I think they'll see how things have changed. But I certainly hope that we don't change by my hope is that, yeah, the churches after us have a different ethos. They watch less, they eat less, they drink less, they do less worldly things, and they are much more captured in the kingdom than we are. <laughs> Please change the ethos. <laughs> um, but at the same time, there's going to be some things that have served us well that need to fall by the wayside. I don't know which ones those would be. Would, would you agree with that, Chad? Is that, yeah. what, is that what we're doing? Mm -hmm. That good, great question. Great question. Yes, yes. The students there are not allowed to drink. 
Well, the, I mean, I would add that you uh, know, I, ethos I don't think and, everybody heard her. Go, oh. go ahead and let her say it again. Sorry. Oh, sorry. I think the things that we do together, would all, we would always honor the, the ethos of, that's already stated well, well and clear. Like Mars Hill, you know, you don't date. You don't bring that kind of culture in. So if some church down the road was okay with dating or something, that still would not happen in Mars Hill. We would honor, I, just to say, the things we do together, we would always honor. Right. Most of the things are outright stated if you apply to Mars Hill you agree to not bring other ethos into Mars Hill. Yeah. Good. I'd also say that, you know, we are increasing in size, but our communities are, are built on relationship. And our ethos comes out of relationship. It's not like a <laughs> this external thing that some churches got it and some churches don't. It's, it's us in this room. I mean, we are the ethos. Our life together is is the ethos, and it's our agreement that, that that it consists in that. So there's not like relationship over here and then ethos over here. No, as as much as we have relationship, that's as much as we share a way of life and and have a, a shared uh, vision. Yeah. Bill, were you a drinker? When you, I mean, but you y'all drink wine, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. And probably in college before you became a Christian, mm-hmm. in college, yeah. you, you were a drinker. And then when we made the decision, uh, you know, you embraced it. You were part of that decision. Brent has never drank a drunk drop in his life, uh, and he's on the other side. Tom and Susan, where were you guys on that when you, when you showed up? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Kent, man, he was a fish, uh, and, uh, and and so my point here is that, you know, our decision that we've made and held on to has not got anything to do with personal preference. It's got to do with what we believe is best for us here and now, and for some, it meant abstaining. Uh, for some, it meant keeping it quiet, <laughs> uh, but... Uh, uh, what, what was I saying, Ben? I forgot. The decision meant different things for different people. Oh, yeah. The, the, the cost of the decision was different for different people. It, and it was all about what is good and right. And so it just can't boil down to this is what I like or what I want, and this is what I've always done. You, you've got to have that broader care for the whole thing to, to do it. clarification on on Thomas's question because um, I, I had asked you this before yeah. and it might seem overly abstract but I feel like it'll matter in five ten years um, you you had mentioned as as a certain congregation decides to drift on or not drift but they decide to change on on some some issue uh, that they would want to process that with the larger group of of CF churches and leadership right because we have we have life together um, but I take it you're not envisioning uh, that this 2020 conference comes to take on some sort of super congregational governmental role, right? We're not going to have a, like the you know, Methodist conference or, or something like that. It has always been relational. 
and it will always be to the degree that you want to relate to this group, you can relate to it. Uh, so, no, there will never be a, an edict. No bishops, no. Yeah, no, uh, no, no. We have pastors, and that's it. Each of us pastor a church with a team and elders, and the only, you know, the only influence we have is relational. Right, right. Yeah. Good. Awesome. Dan is getting it set up. He's got some ideas. <laughs> Five years from now, he is. He Pope. <laughs> Pope Dan. Pope Dan. 2020. I wanted maybe to ask a little bit about what Ben said about retroactively uh, accepting anything when you take a uh, yeah. taking benefit from the community. Um, so I, I agree with that first off, but I actually want to make sure, like, how do I make sure my actions agree with it? So, for instance, uh, don't you know, do this. <laughs> well, yeah, but don't like do uh, this. talking about talking about Mars Hill, <laughs> like I think it's great. I'm not terribly involved. Yeah. I don't have kids or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, so as a second generation, I've not been in the Mars Hill meetings, mm -hmm. the organization, um, you know, so how do I, you know, make sure I continue to cultivate those same things? Even when Billy, uh, sort of told the story of, uh, the drinking decision, like there were still nuances of it that I hadn't understood before and probably hadn't followed quite correctly. Um, so just as a second gen person, how do I make sure I continue to be in line when it's, you know, retroactive and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, some of the things are maybe distant from where I'm at in my life? Well, I think it gets back to relating to older people, having the flow of life and stories and, and, and uh, history, collective wisdom, uh, exposing yourself to that. And, and I, I, I I mean, that's not a, a very clear-cut answer, but I think that that's what needs to go on in a healthy community. That's what, that's what roots us in the things we need to be rooted in. And so if you discover, hey, I don't know much about Mars Hill. It's really important to our church. Maybe you come hang out on a Monday or, uh, or just talk to some people about it or, or ask. And... And expose yourself. That's what I would say. I mean, and, and I think that's a really good question because there are a lot of things that, as we grow, not all of us will be directly involved with. Yeah, my and, thought was yeah. you gave the example of someone running through with their steamroller. Yeah. Like, I could see really easily for myself, like, yeah, I see the fence there. That's to stop cars, not to stop me from walking around it. And you create little cow paths where you yeah. think you're following the decision, but really you're slightly subverting it. I think, I think we have counted on home fellowship leaders mm -hmm. to communicate these things okay. and to know your lifestyles and to help you see anything that... Who's your home fellowship leader? Who is your home fellowship leader? Dan. Dan. So we would expect Dan to communicate these kinds of things and, and to communicate the nuanced uh, aspects of it. Uh, but there's probably a need for us to, any of those things that we have, you hate writing them down, especially clothing, you know. Uh, you would hope that relationally we could, 
we could we could pass this down but we may need to on some of them just write it to make it clear uh, but until now the hope has been that you know we all live together and all of our home fellow you know back when there were like five or ten home fellowship leaders and 60 people everybody knew and this is part of the problem and so I think we need to uh, we need to talk about it and either start writing it down which I don't like because I don't like writing anything down uh, <laughs> I, I like for it to be in relationship but maybe with some things we need to write it to make it clear uh, maybe some even home fellowship leaders don't understand and, it, so. well I asked this with the you know maybe the correct answer is Chris you've been here eight ten years why don't you know this you know maybe yeah. you know I ask it understanding it might just be me not having done due diligence mm -hmm. yeah it's a comp the the drinking one's complicated because it's not a final no you may never drink yeah. if that was you'd probably know it if that was it <laughs> um, but in a, in a nutshell it's you need to have real good reasons for it because it's not our typical uh, way of life. Uh, so maybe maybe we do need to write a few, address a few of them. But some of them are moving targets, like dress, you know. Okay, don't go out in public with just, what are those things? Everyone knows. <laughs> <laughs> See how I did that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Flannel. Uh, Flannel. Flannel. Don't wear flannels in public. What's leggings? What are you talking about? Uh, I, I guess we can write that down if we want to, but, you know. Uh, pardon me? <laughs> yeah. Um, skirt lengths, man, you know. What are we going to write down? Four inches above the knee is pushing it? or You know, what do you do? I bet. Uh, <laughs> Different people have different proportions. I don't know. Good question. We'll get back to you on that next year. Uh, you know, up until now, it's sort of been we love each other and we're like family and it's like older generation kind of passing it on. But this is what we're talking about. It's kind of got spread out. And like you said, a lot of people just aren't clear. And, and it's, a it's a discipleship thing, too. I yeah. mean, a clear step in our understanding of discipleship is being integrated into the church family, which would include all the family, the family ways. And uh, a lot of times we just think of that in, in terms of, like, find a home group. But it's, it's, it's more than that. that. That step in discipleship has a lot, of, a lot of different facets. So when Jesus taught the Sermon on the Mount, I don't think he had homeschooling on it. That makes sense. I don't. I think homeschooling is a culturally conditioned thing that we've embraced because we believe is ideal and the best choice for our context in history. But I would also say that not every family should homeschool. There are situations where it would be bad, yeah. and I really believe that as a pastor and as an educator. The thing I would encourage is walk that decision through with the people that you walk with in your home group. Does that make sense? Uh, I think it goes bad for people when they they just sort of unilaterally do that. Um, so at any rate, that's I mean 
there on homeschooling, walk it through with the people with you. Um, that's a different direction of, a, of an ethos question, but it's one that comes up. Or do you have a rule that everybody has to, no we don't. Uh, but we do believe it's, it's, it is what we're doing, it's what we're emphasizing. And what would happen, there would be some people who did not want to pay the price to homeschool, and they would hide behind a fall inability. And they really need to buck up and, and get with the program. There are other people that really don't have the emotional capacity to do it, and it would harm their kids. Uh, that's why it has to be done in conjunction with, with, with your community around you so that, that you're not just copping out. Um, yeah. Well, these are the hard, hard decisions that, that uh, have to be made, and, and you should never have any bitterness in your heart. Either way, you know, those people are ruining my community or community's too hard. It should always be, everything should always be hands wide open. God, we are here and we want to be shaped and formed and we are all very, very wicked by training and we need you to shape us and form us to reflect your son. All right, uh, we should probably end with uh, some worship and prayer. Y'all got it in you to worship God a little bit? Anything else that needs to be said that you guys have that you want to want to share? I went to the, in the military for six years, uh, and they requested a lot more loss of freedom uh, than we express here. Um, <laughs> to say the least, uh, the cost of freedom is, is great, uh, but no one in this country questions that or calls it a cult um, because the benefits and reasons are very clear and real. Um, advancement of what we believe and, and protection of who we are. What we're looking to do as a community is far more real and beneficial than those things I genuinely believe, and the costs are far less. Uh, and so I believe it's a small price uh, that we pay for this pearl uh, and I'm paying much less for it than I was uh, just to serve and protect this country. Nice. Thank you. That's good. Thank you twice. Thank you for doing it, and thank you for sharing it.